on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you what we're watching for in OUBYU and preview the game with Greg Rebel. We also preview the best games of week 12 of college football, and we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, November 15th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there's so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted, I am fired up. To go to Provo, Utah. I never been. I'm very excited. Same. I'm excited about the trip. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it worked out good. I know some people are upset about it, but get in, get out, get back home. We got the short week next week against TCU. I think the the early morning kick works out just fine. And for us, I mean, it's it's early for them. It's an eleven o'clock kick for us, so I think it works out perfect. Yeah, it is. It's something this football team is absolutely used to. And for the radio guys, get home early. That's I, I know from a fan perspective, I know a lot of OU fans are making that trip. And once when the schedule was released, a lot of people were excited about it. Do I wish it was a night game or a you know a 2.30 game for those people? Absolutely. But for us, selfishly, this is perfect. Yep. No, it's I, I, it's going to be cool. It's still going to be a good atmosphere. I'm anxious to see what that place is all about guess we're staying in salt lake city um not that far of a drive down to provo so man it's gonna be awesome weather yeah, should fired. be fine i know there was some, some concern about that but looks like cloudy maybe a slight chance of a little bit of preset but 40s and 50s should be good yeah i'm with you okay the live show at coupe Works on november 29th the link for the tickets is in the show notes only a few tickets left so if you've been on the fence, you better grab them because they're almost gone. Uh, we also put another In the Weeds video on our YouTube channel, uh, breaking down two of our favorite plays from the OU West Virginia game. Uh, that's always a lot of fun, so go check that out, and you can show us your appreciation with what's called a super thanks there on YouTube if you really like that stuff. Enough of that. 
Let's dive into it. Ted, looking at the matchup between OU and BYU, what are you watching for with OU's defense against BYU's offense? You know, it's interesting. Whenever I was when I was watching them and I the the only way I can explain BYU's offense is unremarkable. I don't know I don't know what their identity is. I usually whenever you you come across someone as an offense, you say I, okay, you watch them and there's like a trend like, okay, they're a physical run team or, you know, they like to be aggressive and push the ball down the field or I, I, there's usually some type of identity. Like they're an up-tempo team or, you know, they're just going to be a heavy run team. They're going to live and buy, live and die by the run and, and fully commit to it with a bunch of different, you know, uh, variety and schemes that they'll get to they're just they're unremarkable i don't they don't have what i would consider a identity in the run game you'll get you know a lot of the same stuff we see from everyone they'll, you'll see a little bit of the gt counter um you know they'll, they'll do the quarterback gt counter where they've got like the quick off of it and then the gt counter the other way we've seen that from people they'll do some zone insert stuff um, you know, they'll run the quick on some of the jet sweep stuff. Um, I, it's, that's, that's really it. The interesting thing is, you know, they're one of the few teams and I know that they've been behind in a lot of games, but they're a heavy pass team. You know, I'm, I'm, I was going through the film and watching some games and I'm like, what's the deal here? I feel like all they do is throw the football. And sure enough, you look and they're they're a heavy pass team. Three thirty eight pass to two eighty five run. One of the few teams in the Big Twelve that throws it more than they run it. Um, and even in the running game or uh, the pass game, I, I it's just like a a smattering of all of your, you know, kind of your typical pass stuff. They'll run a lot. I would say the thing that I saw that they were most effective at is they'll throw the bubble stuff a lot. And, I mean, they're not – I wouldn't say they're great at it, but, I mean, they commit to to throwing the short stuff. Um, they'll run all curls, sail route. They'll run spacing. They'll do spacing out of empty and out of, like, three by one. You'll see the China stuff with the with the smash seven. Um, you know, they – down on the goal line, you'll see some individual things. They like to pivot, and you know they'll throw some tunnel screen. It's it's just like a, it's it's like the most vanilla offense I've ever seen. Now, their offensive line, I from what I see, they protect good in the in the pass game. Seem like they protect well. Not very aggressive, you know. Don't don't blow you off the football in the run game. Uh, it looks like they've moved some guys around on the offensive line. Their most recent lineup is gigantic. That right guard they had, their right tackle and right guard are both like 6'9", 340 pounds. Um, but they've kind of moved around. I think the, the they, guy that had played right guard was playing left tackle earlier. So the guy that was playing right guard 
is Caleb Etienne, who played left tackle for Oklahoma State last year. And for those of you that have been loyal listeners of this podcast, he absolutely stinks. Just a just a big body. He is the right side of their offensive line in their last football game was as bad of a group as you're going to find in the Big 12 Conference. They may be huge, Ted. They're <laughs> awful. I Their I'm, left tackle is a complete stud. Kingsley Suamata'ia, he's going to be an early round type draft pick. Was he hurt at some point? He, yeah, I think Cause, so. Because ETN was playing left tackle earlier a couple of, for, for a game or two. So Yeah, banged um, up, but... The offensive line, when when you talk about their offense's struggles, and they have struggled mightily to run the football. They can't run the football. They just can't. 90 yards a game, dead last in the Big 12 by uh, a huge margin. They, They have really struggled, and it has everything to do with, other than the left tackle, their offensive line is, I mean, the center's okay. Their offensive line is bad. It's the worst offensive line in the Big Twelve. I thought the, the I thought the left guard at least shows some physicality at times, but it's just man, it's so it's so vanilla. Um, now Slovis is supposedly back. Um, he's got a big arm. I mean, he he can make all the throws. Um, he'll put it in trouble though. You know, he'll he'll throw it into trouble. The the running backs struggle in pass protection, not good in pass protection. The tight end is not a strong blocker in any of the stuff they're asking him at the point of attack in the run game. You know, and listening to BV, they do some gadget stuff, like, and they've had some success with some gadget stuff. But, I mean, without just sounding horrible, they're last in total offense in the Big 12 by a huge margin. They're last in rushing offense in the Big 12 by a huge margin. Um, they're just flat out not good on offense, Gabe. I don't know what else to really say, you know? I I think you're being kind. I, I think they stink. Yeah, they do. And, and they've got quarterback issues, right? Uh, BV mentioned it on Monday at Rudy's. They think Slovis is going to be back. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for them. Now, the Retzloff kid, the uh, 12 who's come in for him, he is he's not a good thrower. He's got but at like, least he, gets, he adds at least yeah. he adds the mobility element to it because he he can run a little bit. So I I almost expect to see both guys at quarterback. Mm-hmm. The thing I liked about him over Slovis is he has a way quicker release. So when they're doing some of like the 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 bubble stuff or just the quick throws outside, it happens way faster, and he puts the ball on him way quicker. And he's got just a little bit of shake and can get upfield and and get a first down or something on a third and medium. But man, outside of that, it's it's hard to find a whole lot to really be worried about offensively from them. Chase Roberts, number two, the wide receiver, has made kind of some circus catches mm-hmm. this year. He He's a big physical guy. He's 6'4". Uh, Isaac Rex, the tight end, big body, like you mentioned, struggles at the point of attack as a blocker, but is a nice weapon at tight end. He's 
six six. They've got some size at, at the at the pass catching positions, but there's just very little threat when it comes to the run game. So you can really focus on those guys. And I guess LJ Martin, their freshman running back, may be back for this game as well. He's missed some time throughout the season. But still, all of their issues, in my opinion, start up front. I think their offensive line, except for Suamata'i at the left tackle spot, I think their offensive line stinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I if you are if, – if, if you're just kind of – if you're average or below average personnel-wise across the board, and I think that they easily check that box – like in order to give people trouble, you have to really scheme some things and find a way to chisel away with with what some of your strengths may be or where you can. But I don't see that at all. I just continue to see like like the most vanilla. Usually, you get more vanilla as your personnel gets better and better, and. That's not the case with them. Like their personnel's not very good and they're just they don't do very much. I think I think we may shut them out. I don't think that's unreasonable. I'll tell you right now. If if they move the football and score some points, I'm gonna be really disappointed. Yeah, I agree. With the way that this O line looks with the product, the offensive product that this this uh, team has put on the field the last several weeks, I think the only way BYU scores a lot of points in this game is if the Sooners just show up without the proper focus. Yeah, I, right, without the proper mentality. That's the offense is bad. There's just no way around it. Like no you look at the it. stats, you look at the personnel, you look at the film. It's all bad. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the only thing I would say, and I, I don't, it's not sustainable. But uh, if they were to hit you on a on a gadget play or on a one off go ball, something like that, but I like, I can see them scoring off of maybe a couple of of big plays, gotcha plays, but. I don't see any way that they have a sustained offense for four quarters against our defense. I just things happen. You show up sometimes you just don't have it, but considering everything that's on the line and, and it feels like we're, we're kind of in a nice groove defensively. I would be shocked if we didn't have a really, really good day on defense. I'm with you. Anything else? OU's defense versus BYU's offense. I don't think so. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All I mean, right, let's... The, the offensive line, like we, we've had a tick down a little bit in some of our sacks and tackles for loss. This could be a big game for it as, as slow as they are on the offensive line. We, you know, they may not run it a whole lot for some of the TFL stuff, but we should have some opportunities. I'm with you. All right. Looking at OU's offense versus BYU's defense. First of all, I think the most important thing in this football game when it comes to being on the field for OU's offense and OU's defense, you got to wear the right cleats. Ted, the amount of people slipping on BYU's field, it's just insane. Yeah. It's insane to watch on tape. And now it's getting patchy. Like there's some dead spots, some spots are are greed. It looks it looks awful. It looks like they're giving the people in Ames a run for their money for the worst field in the conference. I was shocked whenever I saw I don't know why I thought that they had turf. Did did they previously have turf? I don't think so. Okay. Maybe. Well, I, it's I saw it and I was like, oh God, it looks like the Bears field. You know, it's like that super thick, slow grass, and it comes up and it's soup like really soft on the surface. It comes up in big chunks. Horrible. I've got a clip for you. I forgot to send it to you. A defensive tackle for them getting double teamed, and he's literally sliding for 10 yards. He's on his feet, but he's sliding like he's for 10 skates, yards. Skates just uh it's terrible. And I, I had a long conversation with BV about it, you know, just kind of during breaks and stuff, and you know, because they got the guys that are going to be wearing the screw ins and stuff. I personally hate screw ins. I I think they're the worst cleats to wear because you don't have as many cleats on the bottom. And like, if you get on the side, you slip out on the, you know, cause it's got like the plastic on the sides, but you know, some guys are going to be going with those. They've been wearing them in practice to get ready for it. Looking at the defense, a very aggressive four, three defense. Now, this is interesting, Ted. This They do something that you don't see a lot of. When you go sub-personnel, which is what OU operates in 100% of the time, right? 11 personnel and 10 personnel. The way that they handle it, they take their Sam backer and move him to Mike, and their Mike backer comes off the field. They take one of their starting corners on the outside, bump him into nickel, and then they bring another outside corner on the field. It you just you don't see people do that. It's just it's interesting. It's funny you say that. Whenever I was in Detroit, we did that. I played Sam in the base package and played Mike in the nickel package. And Dre Bly, who is one of our corners, would come and play nickel and we'd bring in an extra corner. It's funny, but yeah, that was that was a rare a rare case of that. So yeah, that's well, interesting. Maybe you could go on the field and talk to <laughs> AJ Vomfachon about it because he is, they ask him to do a lot there at the backer position. But I, I think the most important thing offensively in this game is recognizing the front that they are in. They change it up a lot. Now they will be in a normal four down four defensive lineman front. Then they'll jump into bear uh, with five with all five offensive linemen covered, right? They'll bring that sandbacker onto the ball. Uh, they will do some stuff where linebackers are walked up over guards. They'll walk linebackers up over tackles. 
they do a lot of different things to get you thinking from a front perspective and whether it's run pass RPO, whatever you have to communicate the front because blocking schemes are all dictated by the front. So it's going to be loud. From what I understand, those fans show up no matter what the communication of the front and what they're in and where you're going, no matter what the call is, has to be clear. It's got to be effective. It's got to be relayed down the line. It's got to be relayed to everyone. Backs, tight ends, everyone needs to know. I say it all the time. No secrets on the road. No secrets on the road. Make sure everyone's on the same page. You have to avoid major miscommunications that can result in unblocked guys because that can result in catastrophic mistakes. That cannot happen. So first and foremost, communicate the front, make sure everyone is on the same page. And if you do that, it's going to be a big day offensively because their defense isn't any good. They're just, they're, they're not very good. They are going to dial up pressure. However, I was stunned how aggressive they are defensively watching them on tape. And they they can't sit in base defense and hold up against OU. They just can't. And when they played some RPO-heavy teams, it's almost as if they've gone, forget all that. We don't want to put our linebackers in those positions. We're playing man coverage. We're playing cover one, snap after snap after snap. They played TCU, and I want to say 15 of the first 20 snaps they're in man, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. So they've shown a tendency to be very aggressive when it comes to bringing pressure, especially from the inside linebacker position. Those guys are coming a lot. Crossfire is something that they love. So clearly when they bring those pressures, the defensive line is going to move. So OU's offensive line, the backs, the tight ends, you have to anticipate some of that movement because the pressure is coming. And when the pressure is coming, the line is going to move. You can't be surprised by any of that stuff. So that is that that is something that they're going to need to be locked in on. One thing I'm curious about, Ted, is the tempo. What's it look like in this game? I, I think you can play slow and line up against BYU and knock them off the football and be just fine. There's also the altitude piece of this. And, and I thought Lebby did a really nice job mixing speeds against West Virginia. I don't think this is a team you need to go super fast against. And I just don't know, like, are our guys going to be able to breathe in the altitude? That's that's something you really don't think about except for this game. So I I don't know, man. What do you what do you think? I I think that you can play fast. I know you want to jump on them. I know you want to score fast. I get that, but there's some interesting factors when it comes to how fast you play as an offense in this game. Yeah. I think we will I think we'll play fast early. Meaning early in the game, I think we'll play fast early in drives. As drives go on, I think we'll slow down because of the, you know, the, um, you know, just being able to breathe and the the altitude. 
Um, and I think as I expect we really control the game, I think we'll slow way down as the game rolls on. I mean, I, I know that Lebby and, and the offense would love to go in there and put up 80 points and, you know, have a bunch of guys score and, you know, have, you know, come out of that game feeling super confident. But you're kind of at the point now where it's about, like, win the game, win it in, in in really good fashion, but let's get the heck out of there as fast as we can with as many healthy guys as we can. So I think early in the football game, you'll probably see us use some tempo, but as the thing wears on, hopefully we're able to get away from it. I like I like where your head's at. So some run game thoughts. I'm just going to be real. OU should be able to run their base stuff and have success against this defense. The defensive line is very average. Now, they play with great effort. There's just you, – you cannot question that group's effort. But they just don't have a lot of size on the interior, and, and they don't have a lot of length on their defensive line as a whole. Now, 92, Tyler Batty at defensive end. I think he's their best player on defense. I, I love the motor that he plays with. He's fun to watch, but other than that, I'm sure he'll win some reps, but OU's offensive line should be able to block these guys. So I'm expecting the bread and butter stuff. Inside zone, zone insert, split zone, one back power, a GY counter, GT counter. The bread and butter, baby. I don't think you need to do anything other than that. I don't think you need to get overly complicated with it. I think you have to be able to just run it right at these guys mm-hmm. with, with what they've shown. One thing, Caden Green. Captain. How about that? Yeah, that's Captain awesome. Caden Green. Sorry, Caden. Excuse me. Captain Green. Has to get his pads down on 62. Mahi, he is listed at 6'1". Defensive tackle. Ted, if he's 6'1", I'm 6'10". <laughs> because there is no chance that's accurate. He he looks like a fire hydrant out there in Caden Green. You cannot let a guy like that. Caden Green hasn't played a defensive tackle like this. You cannot let him get under your pads. And the same goes for Reigns. Sometimes Reigns' pads can get a little vertical. Those guys, when they're blocking 62, get your pads down because he is a he's a stout fella. Their linebackers, they do not do a good job of getting off blocks. So once again, bread and butter concepts in the run game. I do think 31, Max Tooley, if you're running to the edges, 31 can run. I mean, he can absolutely run and go get the ball if it's going outside, uh, but he, he gets lost quite a bit. He'll make a few plays. He'll make a play or two where you're like, dang, okay, that guy can go a little bit. But other than that, Ted, I really think they can just keep it simple in the run game. Obviously, you dress some of those concepts up with shifts and motions, but I, I'm i not expecting anything elaborate, and I don't think it takes anything elaborate to run the football. I'm excited to see Sawchuck continue to develop. It, it feels like there's been some significant improvement from him over these last couple of weeks. I think that their safeties really struggle to tackle in space. I think he's got the opportunity to rip off some big time runs in this game. Yeah. One thing to, 
to think about and kind of a fair warning for fans. Be prepared for a, depending on how the game goes, a possibly a strange play calling day. Whenever you get to a point and you have a game where maybe you're going to be up by a lot, you can start to manipulate your tendencies, right? Because as the season unfolds and you find some things that you're good at and you're having success with, you start to lean towards those things and it will show up in your tendencies and the statistics for run pass out of formations and out of personnel and you're a heavy left-handed run team or you're a heavy right-handed run team and whenever you have an opportunity to try and get those things back to where there's not tendencies it can often lead to some weird play calling out there so just kind of be ready for some of that maybe running plays out of weird formations and weird personnel groupings they're bad enough to where you can do some things that's what you're saying you're saying it nicely but that is uh yeah no that's that's a great thought a few past game thoughts i i think they're going to play with an aggressive mentality defensively Uh, i think they're going to bring a lot of pressure i think they're going to play cover one behind it now they do do some zone blitzing where they're playing two deep safeties behind it i I just i don't think they have a group up front that can win with a four-man rush now, Tyler Batty, 92, once again, he he's had some nice moments as a pass rusher, but that that's really it when it comes to guys that can just win one-on-ones. They've had very little rush from the interior of their defensive line, so I think they're going to have to dial up blitzes to get to Dylan Gabriel. Uh, this is one thing. As good as Sawchuck has been running the football, he has had some some rough moments in pass protection. He, now, we had some good moments in practice, pass protection against West Virginia, but they are going to test him in this game. They are going to make him pass protect in this game. Uh, they love bringing those inside backers. Buckle up, Gavin Sawchuck. I mean, you are, there are going to be some pass protection collisions in this game, and I'm excited to see how he handles that because there are going to be a lot of those situations. Most likely. So that that's something to watch. I I think it could be another big day for Drake in the slot. I, I think their best players on defense are their corners. Number five, Eddie Heckard, and, and zero, Jacob Robinson. Now, Heckard bumps to nickel when they're playing sub-defense. And it could just be him and Drake one-on-one. And at this point in time, with the way that Drake is playing, I like that matchup with what he's shown as a route runner this season. If they're just going to play man on him, I really like that matchup. Now, Heckard is a very, he's a very handsy player. He's, you can tell he's kind of built like a running back, looks strong, but I'll take my chances with that matchup, man. Give me Drake. I don't know if it's going to be another 164 yard day or whatever, but if they're going to play him man to man, He's a hell of a route runner. He may shake him a couple times, and that may result in some huge gains. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. Drake Stoops has a chance to be the leading receiver in the Big 12. You know, he's already there in receptions. 
He's got a chance in yards. I think he's what ninety yards or so behind. Uh, was it the guy? Is it the guy from UCF that's or Houston? I I can't remember, but he's got a chance to be the number one receiver in the Big Twelve. The coaches know that, and they're aware of that. And the heater that he's on, I mean, it's it's a nice thing to be able to check that box at the end of the season to have the leading receiver in the conference. It wouldn't shock me if we make it a point to go to Drake Stoops a ton in this game. I It would not surprise me at all. At all. Now, they also, I, I was thinking about the big day that Drake could have. And now he's only, in conference games only, Teddy's only 15 yards behind Javon Baker from UCF. So, yeah, that's pretty dang good. But Really good. They bracketed Jalen Knoll from Iowa State a little bit, right? Where uh, they were paying extra attention to him at some points when he was in the slot. Part of me wonders if Drake has earned that type of respect with what he's done the last two weeks. Now, he Drake's not a burner like Knoll is from Iowa State, but it's just something to keep an eye on. It could be why you's defense go, you know what? Anyone else but 12. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, he could still i i uh, on the shorter stuff i it's not like we are if if that's something they want to do we have ways to absolutely make them pay for doing that you know to you want to overemphasize your coverage onto one guy we're good enough to to make them pay and i know that dg and levy and those guys will find those options out there so i don't know i'm i'm that's one of the things i'm most interested to see is how does Drake Stoops keep his run going? Does he keep his run going? I I think the opportunities are going to be there uh, unless unless they double team him. But the wide receivers as a whole, you got to play physical. This is a team that's going to challenge you at the line of scrimmage, at the defensive back position. They're going to grab you. They're going to hold you. You have to play the position uh, with with a high level of physicality in this game. And then you have to be effective, right? Rub routes, all kinds of different things, your mesh concepts. But you also just have, you got to run away from guys. You got to run away from guys. And, and I think that we've got the speed at the wide receiver position to do some of that stuff. And if DG has time, which I believe he will in this game, it should be an extremely efficient day throwing the football for the Sooners because I, I think that, I think the wide receivers can win all over the place against this group. Um, and once again, if you're going to attack any group on this team, I think you attack the safeties. Uh, I do not think they run well as a group. So I'm excited to see what it looks like, but I will be shocked if OU does not have a really efficient day offensively. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It should be, it should be a. I'll be shocked if we don't have an all-around, just offense, defense, special teams, clean day, workmanlike day. Get in there, take care of business, and uh, and get out as as soon as possible. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys the number one thing you'll be watching for in OU BYU. This first one comes from Chase Hodges who says, does the game plan change if it's cold and raining? Will Lebby let DG still sling it unlike 
Kansas. I would assume that the conservative play calling that we saw in Lawrence will not take place in Provo. Yeah. Well, I lean that way too. I guess you never know until we see what the conditions are actually like. Well, if you jump uh, up twenty-one to nothing, right? Then, then that changes everything, right? But out of the gate, I think Jeff Lebby's. Uh, I think it's it's going to be an aggressive mentality. I just think that's where this football team is right now. Yeah, I I agree too. Yeah, I I think that. And from what I've seen, I don't expect the conditions to be bad. And I know things can change and probably can change quickly in the mountains. But I think the I think the uh, conditions are going to be fine. And, you know, I think we're going to be able to – we should have enough success running the football that you don't have to be conservative play calling in the passing game. You know, you should, because of the run, be able to dial up plenty of downfield – uh, opportunities and you've talked about you know a lot of cover one a lot of man-to-man oftentimes that's like let's find the best matchup and push it down the field and i think our guys can probably win those battles i'm with you this other one comes from tyler slocum who says for the special teams to have their best game yet i think freeman takes one to the house and don't miss any field goals it would be nice to see the, the special teams units just put together a fantastic performance in this one. Yep. That would make me feel good. Should have plenty of opportunities. I expect that they're going to punt a lot. They've punted more than anyone else in the conference, and that's probably going to continue. Yeah. I I think we've done our best trying to <laughs> – I we've been respectful, but, yeah, BYU, they're not a good football team right now. Well, they're struggling big time. So this and should be – Listening uh, to uh, – uh, listening to the press conference the other day, it sounds like the end of the season can't get here quick enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kalani Sataki, not, not overly pleased with some of the guys in that locker room. All right, let's learn a little more about BYU from the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. But first, Love's Travel Stops now has 47 RV stops conveniently located at Love's Travel Stops across the country. Love's RV Stops provide RV travelers with a safe, clean, well-maintained, and spacious place to stop on your journey. Whether you need a propane refill, RV dump, private shower, laundry facilities, or a dog park for your furry travel companion, you'll find that and more at Love's RV Stops. Visit lovesrvstops.com to research locations, check availability, and make a reservation for tonight or for months in advance. Visit lovesrvstops.com to make a reservation and find out why Loves is the heart of the highway. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamore. The Land Doctors have a 120-acre property for sale in East Norman. Located just 10 minutes from campus, this completely wooded property sits at the intersection of East 120th Street and Tecumseh Road. If you're looking for a quiet place to go spend some time in the outdoors, or a nice little hunting spot on the outskirts of town. This place is for you. There are also development business opportunities with this property as well. Call Colton Cole to schedule a private showing at 405-615-7645 or shoot him an email at colton at landdoctors.com. 
and celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coupe Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with an ice-cold beer from Coupe Ale Works. You can join it at the Palace on the Prairie, at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit SchoonerAle.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. All right, here is Greg Rebell. It is our pleasure to be joined by the voice of the BYU Krugers. Greg Rebell is in the house. 32 years on the radio crew. That's incredible, Greg. How you doing, man? Doing really well. Good to be with you guys. It's going to be an exciting one, man. We're I know Oklahoma fans are amped up to make the trip out there. Never played there before. Uh, a lot of fans, you know, have, have obviously watched BYU over the years, but uh, I, we're excited to make the trip. What's it, what's it like on you guys? And I know it's been a rough season, but I'm sure it's still cool to to host some different teams throughout the year. Yeah, the Big 12 has been great in, in every possible way and, and with new teams and new venues, new fan bases. And uh, it is kind of bittersweet because OU gets to come to Provo, but this is it. It's uh, It's a one-shot deal. Um, and, and it's the only time BYU and OU will face as big 12 colleagues, there'll be no return trip as OU goes into the sec, but it is a big deal. Uh, you know, they've, they, they've played two times previously, both were neutral field affairs, uh, back in 1994, the old copper bowl in Tucson. And then in 2009, uh, one of the first games they've ever actually got played at, uh, at the new stadium in Arlington. The Sam Bradford game, uh, OU fans will remember, and, and BYU won that one as well to open the season. So they've just met twice. It's been a while, never on anyone's home field. So it, it, it's a one, it's a one-off, but I think it'll be a really enjoyable one for both fan bases. And uh, yeah, BYU could be going in at a better scenario, but that said, they're they're trying to accentuate all the positives they could muster and give OU a game. Greg, let's talk about the team. Let's start with the offense. What is what's the quarterback situation? looking like for this game is Slovis all the way back what's your expectation at QB for the Cougars yeah I wouldn't say he's all the way I say he's working his way back and he's got a couple of days still right he's he's gonna he's gonna use these next couple of days to show the staff what he's got um and 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 their posture is if if Keaton can really sling it 100 percent then that's great then 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 I think that's uh that that's something you lean to but but if he's not there Jake Retzloff with the combination of arm and legs probably gives you a better chance to move the ball than Keaton at less than full strength. And so, um, you know, he's getting back, he's working his way back, but he's got to be able to rip it uh, for them to really trust him. Is there any chance we see both of those guys? Uh, and what do you think is, is different about the offense under Retzloff than it is Slovis? Well, yeah, and we have to back up a little bit, uh, but I'll answer the first part. I, I don't think they would go with, but I think if Keaton's ready to go, then he's the guy and and, and they ride him. Um, if not, I think they'd use him as kind of an emergency backup and, and let Retzloff have the game. Um, it, it really all depends on on what, you know, how close to 100% Jake can really get. Because I think at that point, he, he gives you, you know, your best option. He doesn't run it, but you know, he's a guy with, you know, 10 to 12,000 passing yards and 80 touchdowns. He, he's, he's got the experience that you brought him in for. So I think you go with him, but he's, he's still got to show something over the next couple of days. Uh, the offense under Keaton Slovis was going to be different than the ones that Aaron Roderick was coordinating prior. 
Um, he's BYU's OC, and and he was coordinating Zach Wilson games and Jaron Hall games. And and those are both guys that have the run threat. And in fact, that was a big part of, of, of BYU's game. In fact, you go back over the last five seasons, and about 11 to 13% of BYU's rushing yards were quarterback rushing yards. And, and Aaron Roderick went from that to bringing in Keaton Slovis, who he knew was a negative rushing yards guy. That's not Keaton's game. Okay, so Aaron Roderick's going from, from coordinating dual-threat quarterbacks to going to a prototypical straight-back, you know, drop-back pocket guy in Keaton Slovis. Yeah, Keaton can run around a bit, but he's not going to gain you yards. So it was a shift in focus to begin with. How does A-Rod go from the dual-threat guy to a, to a more, you know, drop-back guy? And he thought that that Keaton Slovis's just straight attributes and numbers would carry the day, plus an experienced offensive line, plus a good run game with a thousand yard running back coming in and Aiden Robbins. Well, almost none of those things came together. Aiden began the season banged up. He was a shell of himself. They had to find a freshman running back to emerge, which they did. And then he got hurt and the offensive line never really gelled. Um, Only one guy, Kingsley Suamataia, projected NFL draft pick. Only one guy started every game at the same spot on that offensive line. So he thought he'd have a lot of ingredients together. And I forgot to mention the fact that he thought he would have Chase Roberts, Keanu Hill, and Cody Epps as the big three wideouts. Well, two of those three guys have been making cameos all year because of injuries. Only Chase Roberts has been there. So if you look at what they didn't have at wide receiver, the problems at O-line, the lack of the run game with Aiden Robbins hurt, uh, nothing around Keaton worked well enough to make his straight drop back passing attributes really work for BYU. And so it all kind of fell apart. And then when Keaton got hurt and exacerbated against Texas, you know, it just wasn't working at all now because he couldn't even do what, you know, he could do best. So they had to go to Jake Retzloff, who does bring back the dual threat. So then A-Rod goes back to his RPO game and he starts calling more of that. And in Morgantown, it actually looked okay. And in fact, BYU should have scored more than the seven points they did at West Virginia because Keaton or because Retzloff played actually well enough in that game. And then kind of a step back this past week against Iowa State, he didn't look great. And so 10 games in, it's been such a mixed bag and really don't know what to lean on yet coming into this weekend. That's a long answer. Sorry. No, you did a uh, you did a tremendous job of kind of answering any of the other offensive questions I've had. How how has Coach Sataki handled the recent struggles? Uh, you know, I, I think we all saw him express some frustration in his post-game interview a week ago, but just how was he handled? How has the program handled the these struggles that have come with this first year in the Big 12? Well, I think it's important to note that struggles have to be expected when you go from where BYU was to the P5 level. And, and I, I think one of the best things that BYU has going for it is the fact that Kalani Sitake, offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick, defensive coordinator Jay Hill, they were all part of the Utah transition from G5 to P5. Okay, They've been there, done that. They know what it takes and they know how long it takes to gain a foothold. It doesn't happen immediately. You don't jump into the P5 and find yourself at the top of the heap. It takes some time. And and it took time for Utah. And now Utah's, you know, the, the flywheel's going. And Utah is a an established P5 power. But it, it didn't happen immediately. Now, Utah went from Mountain West to, to, to Pac-12. They went from G5 to P5. BYU had a bit of a different runway. They went from independent to P5. It was a bit, bit of an advantage because they could schedule more P5s 
as an independent, right? So instead of playing maybe one P5 a year as a G5, they got to schedule four to seven P5s every year. So they got a taste of what it would take, but getting a taste is one thing at four or five games and then playing 10 straight P5s is another altogether. And and the war of attrition has has uh, has been hard for BYU this year. They've lost a lot of guys. It is a physical toll. It is a week-to-week battle to stay healthy. Uh, beyond the tactics and the athletes you're facing at the P5 level, it has been a grind. And and maybe one of the worst things to happen to BYU was the 3-0 and and 5-2 and starts because I think at that point, everyone thought, you know, some people thought, oh, we got this. You know, you, you, you win at Fayetteville, you beat an SEC team on the road in Arkansas, you're 3-0 going into Big 12, you had a lead at KU at halftime in your first Big 12 game. Okay, we're good. And since then, it's been it's it's been tough. And 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 yet, I think Kalani's perspective is: I saw it coming. I know what's coming. Fans need to be patient and take a look at the big picture. That it won't happen right away. They know where they need to get better. They know where they need to get deeper and stronger. And they will. It's just it's a typical first year scenario. But I think getting to five and two, and knowing you're one win away from bowl eligibility with five games to go to now being one win away with two games to go and those two games being OU and Oklahoma state, uh, you know, th- things changed in a hurry uh, where, where a bowl game looked like, Hey, they're going to do this. And I thought going into this first year as, as a big 12 member to me, six wins and bowl eligibility. That was the, that was the the benchmark of success. If you can get to a bowl in year one as a P five, that's a success. And, and they may or may not get there, uh, but they were five and two needing just one win in five, and it's been hard to get that one. Yeah, it, all, not all the schedules this year in the Big 12 were equal, and BYU did not get the good end of it. As it as it turns out, like West Virginia was picked last, and, you know, they have had a really nice season. You had to go to West Virginia, West Virginia to Texas, to TCU, played a national championship last year. It's been, been a difficult schedule for them. Um, offensively, what – I love the breakdown you gave, kind of the backstory there. What do you think has to happen to get the win against Oklahoma's defense? Like one one or two of the things that you're looking for that they've got to be able to accomplish. Well, I, they're, they're, I, I thought that this past week, rushing for 188 yards against Iowa State was a good first step to maybe something they can they, they can lean into in these last couple of games. Uh, they, they've been a bottom five rushing team all season, essentially. And and the 188 against Iowa State was a season high. And and if they could be between 150 and 200, they're going to give themselves a shot to be in a lot of games against certain opponents. I, I think what BYU was doing best earlier in the year has to kind of come back to the forefront. And it's kind of a three-pronged uh, attack. Um, the field position game, when, when BYU has been losing games, they're finding themselves down – minus 10 to minus 20 yards in average starting field position. But when they're even or positive, they're, they're winning essentially every game under Kalani right now. So, so field position, it, it's got to be closer than it's been. Um, BYU is a good takeaway team. They're a good turnover margin team. They don't have, they don't have, any, have, have any, as many picks as OU, uh, but they've got a lot. They've got 12 picks on the year. They're a good takeaway team. Um, and, and Kalani, you know, he, he's a great turnover margin team as well. Uh, and and then I think I would the other one I'd, I'd go to would probably be red zone. Uh, they they were really good earlier in the year. And they don't get a ton of chances, but they were finishing chances. And, and lately that number's dropped off. And I would also argue too that 
um, if Oklahoma can can run um, the pace they want to run and and have the possession time they need and want, uh, it'll, it'll be. T- I think BYU's got to be closer to even on possession time and try and and slow the game down a bit. BYU is around seventy fifth right now in in pace plays per minute, and Oklahoma's top ten. Um, so Oklahoma doesn't need the clock to have an impact. We've seen that, but I think at BYU can give uh, the, the Sooners a little less of the clock. Um, you know, BYU might might stay in the game longer. Um, but I, I think a lot of things have to come together uh, in, in in a lot of different ways. Oklahoma's playing at sixth, eleven a.m. Central Time game this year, and they'll play a seventh at TCU, right? Yeah. Um, versus TCU, and this is BYU's first ten a.m. game in memory like like they don't do this ever um their last 10 a.m body clock time was four years ago and that was a noon eastern time game at umass so it it was 10 o'clock body clock but noon kick they've not had a 10 a.m local time kick in forever and it's what oklahoma does all the time so there are a lot of things byu's got to overcome to to be competitive i mean i think the line's 24 and a half right now so you kind of see where things are going um it's tough spot for BYU, but it was a tough spot in 2009, uh, taking on Sam Bradford and the Sooners in, in Arlington. Um, they, they were heavy underdogs that day too. So you just look for a crack and, and try to widen it. Looking at the defense, uh, with what we've seen up to this point, Greg, what, what do you view as the biggest strength of BYU's defense? Well, you know, and until Ben Bywater got hurt, it was that linebacking core, and that's a big blow. I, I, I've got to say that, you know, I mentioned the war of attrition. Um, they've lost D tackles. They've lost the middle linebacker. Um, they've been without their their projected starting sa- strong safety all year, and he was the highest projected returning, uh, one of the highest projected returning DBs in the Big 12 by PFF, and that's Micah Harper has not played this year. They just barely got this past week Talon Alfrey back. He was supposed to be Harper's running mate at safety. So the Cougars went into the season with two safeties who were kind of preferred walk-on caliber type, lower level depth guys at starting at two starting safety spots. And doing that in the Big 12 is is a gamble. Uh, so, so BYU was hit immediately at depth before the season even began at safety. Then you lose your mic. Then you lose some tackles. It's just been tough up the backbone of this defense. Um, they thought they'd be a, a more disruptive and havoc-oriented team under new coordinator Jay Hill, but it hasn't really translated. I mentioned the picks have been there. They've picked it off 12 times, and they're a good takeaway team that way, but they're not getting home. They're last nationally in sacks, um, and and they've got good edge rushers in, in Tyler Batty and Isaiah Banya, but they've not gotten home. They've gotten hits. They've gotten pressures, but they're not, they're a half step, you know, they're, they're not getting home. And, 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 and the lack of, of sacks has really hurt this team and has kept that havoc rate down um, from where it should be. Uh, they've, they've made it up on the edges. I would say their strength of the defense to answer the question is corner. Uh, they, they, they've got a Thorpe semifinalist in Jacob Robinson. They've got a really good corner at, at uh, Eddie Heckard, who was an FCS transfer from Weber State. Corners have been the strength. Heckard, Robinson, Garrett, those three. And they play nickel almost 90% of the time. Uh, you're going to see five DBs on the field almost essentially game, you know, start to finish. Those three guys are the most important trio right now for BYU. It's kind of a, you know, out of left field question, but, you know, we've seen it, just kind of watching some of the games and stuff, the surface is interesting. Uh, there's some guys slipping around out there. It's a different grass than than what we're used to playing on. And as the you know the season wears on, you get into the the later mm-hmm. weather, and 
is that something that you guys typically see late in the year that the the field becomes slicker? And I mean, I don't know that. In my opinion, that would be an advantage for you guys that maybe teams no, coming in not used to it. No, it, it, that was kind of a that was unexpected. If okay. if if, they, if something they were used to, they they, they would have been ready. They, they weren't ready for that. What happened? I, the, what I understand was the um, uh, the field was tarped because it's been frosting. Now it's gotten cold, right? So the field was tarped last week. And and they didn't give the field enough time to dry off, if you will, after untarping. Um, and and it, so there was a lot of residual moisture, I think, left on the field from that experience. And I see. and it was unexpected. It, it, it was not something they were ready for or thought it was an advantage or something they could. No, it, it was just kind of it came out of left field. A couple guys had had the right footwear and most of the guys didn't. Um, so it was not something they were planning on. And I think that won't be a problem this week. Interestingly, because of the 10 a.m. kick, morning frost actually there will, it will be wet because of morning frost. Um, it's supposed to be cold and it might even be wet in the days leading up to it. So it could be so, uh, soggy again, but I think it'll be simply be a, an equipment issue and a footwear issue, and guys will have uh, better cleats and be more ready for it this week. And, and Iowa State, I think, already had the right stuff on. Um, you know, they they play on their new grass surface at Jack Trice, and I think they already had what they thought were, were, were good cleats for that conditions. And, and there were a couple guys slipping for Iowa state, but not nearly as many as, as there were for BYU. Yeah, no, it was, it was interesting to watch on tape, Greg. Now last one, man, and we'll let you get out of here. I, I remember talking to you when the schedule dropped over on uh serious sex and big 12 radio, that this was the game that BYU fans were really excited about, right? When the schedule was released, it, are the BYU fans the type of group that no matter how the season's going, they show up, they're loud. Like, are you expecting a really good, you know, just kind of a typical rowdy environment that you guys are used to for this game? Because the 10 a.m. kickoff local time, it just, I don't know, puts the fan base in an interesting position. Something they're not used to because again, this doesn't happen here, right? So it's an entirely different shift in 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 a game day routine. BYU has been known recently for its great Saturday night, Friday night, late night crowds and energy. Um, you go back over the last 19 night home games, they're 17 and two. Um, their day game record's not been great. And and part of that is the fact that the day games get the better opponents. Uh, you, you're you're going to find yourself in that afternoon, either ABC or ESPN window, either the early or the mid afternoon, or, or early, either the morning or the early afternoon game. Those are your best opponents. So the fact that BYU doesn't have a great day record is kind of related to the fact that they're getting the TCU and, and KU and Texas and Oklahoma in these daytime games. But that said, yeah, I'm a little bit curious as to what it will feel like because I'm so used to the, to the late night kind of hum of that building and the student section um, you know, rolling in and 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 really showing a ton of energy for the evening affairs. What it'll be like in the daytime, I don't know. Plus the fact that BYU's lost three in a row, energy might be down a little bit, but OU's still OU. And I, I think it was still a circled date. And and the Sooners, um, it's a special thing. Again, they've never been to Provo. They may never again come to Provo. This is a one-shot deal more, more than likely. And so I think the energy will be there. But it, there's a little bit of of, of uh, maybe nervous energy about how this thing's actually going to turn out, just because of how good OU is right now and where BYU is right now, and and where the line is, what the expectations are. So, in a lot of ways, I'm just curious to see myself what it feels like in the building. Um, I do know that the scenery will uh, will will impress everyone visiting uh, from Norman 
Um, it, it's a great venue. Um, it'll be 60,000. It'll be a special day either way. And I, I can't wait to, to get Saturday here. I'm fired up. I you can't too. wait for the trip, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Greg, we appreciate it, man. 32 years on the radio crew. That's, that's so awesome. You're the man. Thank you for the time. No, I'm blessed. I appreciate it guys. Uh, anytime. Appreciate you. Well, Greg's got me excited for the trip. Sounds like it's going to be a great atmosphere, Ted. No, I imagine it is. Um, I mean, I'm excited to try some of the uh, the goodies in the that they have going in the in the stadium. Should be fun. Yeah, we we may Don't have some tell. time in the fourth quarter where I I know it's not on camera, but it'll, I'll I'll be doing like food reviews. That's in play <laughs> with how this game could go. All right, let's preview some of the best games of week 12 of college football. But first John Vance auto group has a deal for Oklahoma breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full service dealerships in Woodward, Miami and Guthrie and tell them we sent you. They'll give you a $500 off. That's 500 off. Just because you listen to this podcast, we've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family owned and operated. No matter what your vehicle needs our John Vance auto group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing and will design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game. And with all the garage locations being open to 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. Week 12 of college football, the number seven Texas Longhorns head to Ames, Iowa to take on the Cyclones. 7 p.m. on Fox. Texas is currently an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Ted, Texas escaped Fort Worth with the win last weekend. Now they head to Ames at night in November. What could go wrong? Yeah, a lot on the line. A lot on the line for Texas. Um, you know, yours is, is back in there. They're... You know, they, they lost the running back, which is going to be a big factor. But, man, they've just been getting by here recently. And you got to wonder, can you continue to live like that? Or are they going to start to pull it together and play a little bit more solid football? I think the Jonathan Brooks loss, and I feel terrible for that young man. He had had yeah. such an awesome season. I, I assume he was going to come out for the draft being – you know, probably one of the first running backs coming off the board and for him to tear his ACL now is brutal. That's yeah, absolutely he's brutal. Gonna, he's probably going to be knocking on 1,500 yards uh, for the season. Um, you know, he was what? He's over 1,100, I believe. So 
yeah, that's that's tough for him. And he was, you know, they they have some good schemes and they block some stuff up, but a lot of what he does is like some really impressive individual effort stuff. Yeah, and we'll see if C.J. Baxter, right, you know, all all world freshman, if he can step up in his place. That Texas offensive line, they got to play well in this game. Uh, they got to play well. If they can't get the run game going and Ewers, who I still don't think is healthy, has to make a bunch of throws, I just – we've seen this Iowa State defense confuse quarterbacks time after time after time. And if they are in predictable passing situations, Ewers, Ewers is known – he can make some mistakes. Man, so on the other side, Rocco Beck, he's going to have to play lights out for Iowa State because I don't think they're going to be able to run the football at all against that Texas defensive line. That group, that front seven is playing really well right now. So Rocco Beck, he's going to have to make some big-time throws in this game. He's going to have to avoid some pressure, make some plays with his legs. He's got to avoid the critical mistake. He has to play clean for them to have a chance because, dude, I really, I, I think they're really going to struggle to run it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of when they struggled this season, it's whenever they weren't running the ball very well. Um, you know, that's pretty typical. But as that running game has come around, they've, they've been better and better. Um yeah, man, freshman going up against that front seven for Texas. You know, what he does to be able to move around a little bit and extend plays and get outside the pocket is probably their best chance for some explosive plays, you know, because, you know, I I don't know. I I feel like we're going to have a low-scoring football game. That's how it feels to me as well. This is This is the big question for me in this game. Can Iowa State's defense limit big plays from Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell? And, and I mean huge plays, like 40, 50-yard touchdown type plays. If they can limit that stuff and just make Texas move the ball down the field, Texas has continued to struggle in the red zone, man. Mm -hmm. when, when those windows have gotten tighter, when the field is compressed, they have not They've not done a particularly good job offensively. So if you're Iowa State and you can not let them score from forever away with Mitchell and Worthy, then if, if you can force field goals in the red zone, who knows what happens? Or, or maybe, hey, maybe yours tries to make, make a really, really tight window throw. You bat it up in the air, you get an interception, something like that. But if they can turn it into a red zone execution game for Texas, I think this is going to be a close, interesting football game. I so I, I think it comes down to who, who makes the mistakes at the quarterback position. Yeah. It's funny because yesterday on my radio show, I did a uh, player a and player B statistically with Rocco Becht and Quinn Ewers, they're almost the same. I mean, it's like you know, Ewers is, you know, a little bit better completion percentage. He's thrown for like 100 more yards. He's thrown for one less touchdown, but, you know, in a few less interceptions, but a lot of their stuff is really similar. 
Um, and I think it's going to probably boil down to which one of those two guys plays the best. And if Texas can have any semblance of the run game that they had with Jonathan Brooks, I, if that is not, if the run game is not there, I, it's, because that's really what takes the pressure off Quinn Ewers. And if he doesn't have a running game, I give me Iowa State. I mean, to me, that's going to tell the story is can C.J. Baxter in the running game make up for the lack of Jonathan Brooks? If not, I think Iowa State wins it. Yeah, and clearly a lot of OU fans going to be cheering for the Cyclones in this one. Yeah, it should be a crazy atmosphere too. I mean, that place, that's a fun place to play. Um, it's not huge, but it's one of the bigger stadiums in the big 12, uh, you know, 65,000. And it's going to be a crazy atmosphere with everything that's on the line right now. I'm with you. All right. Next game. Number five, Washington goes to Corvallis to take on the number 11, Oregon state Beavers. This game's going to be six 30 central on ABC. Currently Oregon state is a two and a half point favorite. Weird things happen at night in Corvallis, Ted. How about Jonathan Smith's Beavers being favored in this one? They're good. They're really good. They are good. They will get after your ass on defense. Uh, They run the football really well. They are a physical football team. Washington is, it's like, just get us to the finish line is what it's kind of felt like this back half of the season. Uh, this is going to be a difficult one for him, man. You know how di- it's – there's been a lot better teams than Washington that have not been able to make it through a schedule undefeated. And I I just – I feel like it's going to happen at some point, and this would be the game. So we'll see. Uh, you know, I Washington's the better football team. They got the better quarterback. That doesn't always mean that you win the football game. It's going to be a tough one. I, I'm i with you. Now, Oregon State's going to want to shorten this game. right? They're going to want to turn this into kind of a grinded-out football game. There's no doubt they're going to want to lean on the run game with Damian Martinez, lean on that physical offensive line that they built there. But DJ Uyunglele is going to have to make some throws in this game because – even though that Oregon State defense is really good, I I just have a hard time believing that Michael Penix and Dunze and Polk and that, that, that group of skill guys for Washington, I got a hard time believing they're not going to make some plays in this one and put up some points. They're, they're really good. I mean, Penix is really good. So give me Washington to win the game. I know they're 10-0. I know it's incredibly difficult to go undefeated and that place is going to be rocking but I just trust Penix to make the necessary plays and I don't trust Uwe Ungalale the same the same way so Kalen DeBoer is a hell of a football coach as well there there's a reason his name's coming up for all these jobs that are opening up I is that distraction at all I I don't think so for whatever reason, I just I just think Washington's going to have too much offense in this game for Oregon State. Yeah. Let's... But watch him get beat by Ted. Who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, 
I think Oregon State's going to have to have some things go their way, find a way to get some turnovers, find a way to to get some explosive plays out there. You know, there's there's a lot of ways this thing can unfold. Um, I mean, I'm I'm I'll lean Washington, but I feel like there there could be. I mean, it's not an upset, but I mean, I feel like if they're going to go down, this is the place. This is it. It it feels that way. All right, the last game, Sunflower Showdown, number 21, Kansas State, heads to Lawrence to take on the number 25, Jayhawks. This game will be 6 p.m. on FS1. Currently, Kansas State, an eight-point road favorite. We'll see if Jason Bean is able to give it a go. It does not sound like that's going to happen. Uh, I saw Leipold said they're preparing for Ballard to be the guy at quarterback. I just, I, I don't know how effective their offense can be when they don't have that mobile guy at quarterback. Now, Ballard's not a, stand, a, a statue, Ted, but Bean had real speed. You think about what Jalen Daniels did in that offense as a runner when he cared about his football team and wanted to play. Wait, what? But who are we cheering for that, maybe that's the most important thing for this game. Are we cheering for Kansas? We're cheering for Kansas State, right? I don't know. Or no, we're cheering for Kansas. We want Kansas to win. We want as many three loss teams as possible. So we want the Jayhawks to win, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound you don't sound very sure, dude. I don't know. We'll see. If if we can anticipate what rules changes are going to happen after this week, after this rule change, like what they're going to do next week, then I'd have a better understanding of who to root for. I, yeah, that has become quite the topic. So our buddy George Stoya from Sooner Scoop, he's a journalist, Big J journalist. Here's what he put out. For those who are confused by the Big 12 tiebreakers, it's fairly simple for OU. Sooners are in if, Texas loses to Iowa State. Texas loses to Tech. Iowa State beats K-State. Oklahoma State loses to Houston or BYU. He says, to be clear, only one of those scenarios has to happen assuming OU wins out. He's a journalist. I'm going to choose to believe that that's the case. Yeah. Well, I I think all of those... I mean, I'd said there's a, a pretty good likelihood that one of those scenarios will happen. I don't know which one, but, you know, the, we're we're not in a horrible spot right now. Will Howard, he's playing some really good football mm -hmm. the last month. Ever since Avery Johnson came in the picture for K-State, Will Howard has stepped his game up. He is now the all-time touchdown pass leader in school history. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I interviewed him earlier this week. I was like, all time, dude. Congrats. I mean, that's I mean, that's really like just over a year as starting quarterback. He's been playing since he was a true freshman in 2020. Yeah. Now, he had some real rough patches, but ever since we told him he should move to tight end, he's been playing pretty well at quarterback. Now, this is one thing I was thinking about with this game. I think Kansas, if they're going to win this game, they got to force turnovers from Kansas State. 
Uh, it seems like the Jayhawks with the quarterback situation, they really need some things to break their way. Maybe they have, they score on defense. Melo Dotson, he's been a pick six machine. Maybe he can get another one, but K-State's like a few plays away from a really special season. Yeah. Blew a fourth quarter lead to Missouri. Ended up losing by three on the road. Who we know now, Missouri's good. Really good team. Yeah. I mean, that's a good football team. Uh, lost to Oklahoma State when Will Howard played maybe the worst game of his career. If he plays 10%, 20% better, they win that game. And then they lose in overtime to Texas. Right, Had every opportunity at the end of regulation and in overtime to win that game. They're a few plays away from being 10-0 and and ranked like number five in the country. I don't know. It's crazy. And what's weird, though, is like you still wonder if they're going to give you that weird game, you know, and, and maybe they already got it out of the way. That, that was the Oklahoma State game. You know, the Texas game and the Missouri, those were hard-fought games, but they kind of gave up the one against Oklahoma State. I mean, we've seen that from them in the past, but I just – I honestly don't think Kansas is going to be able to stop them on the ground. You know, no. with enough regularity and not having the explosiveness. I mean, come on, third team quarterback against like you just laid out a team that, you know, potentially if just a handful of small things go a different way are a, at least a top 10 football team. It's just I feel like it's just too much to ask for Kansas. I'm with you. I I, I like K-State in that one. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it's a hip thing. And the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the Hip Clinic in Oklahoma City. No matter your age, the Hip Clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement, people. Call the Hip Clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit thehipclinicokc.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I'm going with Georgia. They are back to their rightful place at number one in the country in the college football playoff rankings. Um, they're the best team. They're the best overall team. Uh, Ohio State number two, you know, which is interesting, still ahead of Michigan. Little then, little punishment for Michigan there? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, so interesting. And then Florida State rounds up your top four. And then Washington, undefeated 10 and 0, is outside the top four, uh, looking to stay alive, as we talked about that Oregon State game. But um I I I think Georgia is not just number one, but I think they are the clear number one in the country. I mean, I don't I mean there's there's other good teams, don't get me wrong, but they are the most complete football team to me, and it's not not really that close. That and they are they have gotten 
key guys healthy on offense. Lad McConkey's back healthy. Brock Bowers is back from the ankle situation. Carson Beck is playing a really good football. Run game is going. They got Mims there. What probably going to be a first rounder at left tackle back. I mean, not only are they playing really good football, they're gaining steam. Yeah, I know. And that makes me think they're they're going to Neyland this weekend. Yeah. And they're a 10-point favorite. And I, then they've win by three scores. I that's what I was about to say. I just I I don't have before the season started, I looked at this game and thought this is gonna be a really tough one on Georgia. I don't see that as the case anymore. I I think I think they could handle Tennessee easily. You you know what I think it's gonna look like? I think it's gonna play out exactly the way the old miss game did. Hypel is awesome with the first 15 to 20 plays of a game, really exposing your weaknesses. I could see Tennessee moving it early, scoring some points, crowds going, but I then I think that Georgia defense is going to settle in. They're going to choke the life out of Tennessee just like they did Ole Miss, and that Georgia offense is going to roll. I, I think that's going to be a blowout win for Georgia. I think they're that good right now. That is a tough atmosphere, but dude, I just, I think they're really good. I do too. Yeah, I think I think Georgia. It's like they finally are engaged in the season, and you know they handled Old Miss, and I think they're going to do the same thing with Tennessee. Man, I'm I'm with you. I think it it may be tight early. There's just too much. They're just going to continue to constrict you on defense and adjust to whatever it is that that you you planned on being able to get over on them and they get a ton of credit for defense and not that much credit for offense and their offense is excellent so yeah they're they're i feel like we are uh looking really close at a three-peat you know it it feels that way now, there's also this when it comes to that Georgia Tennessee game. Is Joe Milton the type of guy to knock off the number one team in the country? Mm. I can I can I close my eyes and envision that? No. You know what's crazy? I feel like the only team in the country that I would give a chance to beat Georgia is Alabama. I mean, I say give a chance that I. That's not say, crazy I, at all. I think a lot of people see it that way. I know, but it's funny because Alabama has, you know, they're they're number eight in the playoff rankings, and you know, I it's I I can't really say much about like they should be necessarily higher than that. I don't. I I, I mean that's a fair ranking, but I, this season has really played out exactly how Nick Saban would want it. I been able to operate through pretty much obscurity throughout the year left for dead early and have just gotten better and better and better. And, you know, they've, they've got a dangerous enough offense with some big plays and a good enough defense to give Georgia a real run for their money. I'm with you. And that sec title game is already set. 
Yeah, that's the thing, though. I think Alabama can beat Georgia, but I don't think they can beat them twice. You know, that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Because they they'll have to beat them twice. We keep them. We may find out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Oh, I had to go with the Cleveland Browns. Man, that massive investment they made in Deshaun Watson is not looking very good. He is out for the season, has some type of broken bone in his throwing shoulder, and is going to have to miss the the rest of the year. And I financially, it has been a disaster. Uh, they're going to, uh, as of right now, and with him missing the rest of the season, they will have paid $92 million, $92 million for 12 starts and 14 touchdowns. I, okay. There's quite a bit to unpack here. Now, the comeback win they just had in the way that Watson looked in that second half I think it had a lot of brand uh, Browns fans excited. Like, mm-hmm. hey, is this where he's turning the page? Season-ending surgery. <laughs> but that defense that they've got, Miles Garrett's going to be Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL. He's just been an absolute menace. But as a as a former employee of the Cleveland Browns, this is the best way I can put it. When I watch NFL football on Sunday, I cheer for the teams that employed me. And there were a lot of them, six of them. <laughs> so I got a, I got a lot of teams, a lot of teams to cheer for. It has been pretty difficult for me to cheer for the Browns with him playing quarterback for him. And for me, Watson not being out on the field for him, it allows me to cheer for the Browns a little more. That that's where I'm at with it. So, yeah, that contract looks worse and worse and worse by the day it's got it's got potential to be the worst contract in the history of american professional sports but i'd rather watch them without him on the field that's yep. just how i feel yep um it does, i'm i'm with you on that contract and if only people could have seen that coming which I would say was everyone in the world except for the Cleveland Browns, right? It's been it's been a nightmare. 92 million, 12 starts, 14 touchdowns. Who? Not remember, great. Remember when Sam Bradford, you know, caught flack for how much he made in his career? I Deshaun Watson has made more in the first two years of this contract that Sam Bradford made his entire career. Now that is not true. I think Sam made like $130 million. Well, okay. I guess for the contract he got hammered for. Yes. The initial, his rookie deal. His rookie deal. Yeah. Which is what? But, 70 million or something like that. But also from the NFL impact of this, the AFC North is the, the best, is the best division Ooh. in all of football. I mean, the Browns are a six and three football team. The Bengals are dead last in the AFC North right now at five and four. 
So what type of effect does this have on that division, the playoff picture? It, it's definitely a significant development, but I I will be much happier watching the Browns without him on the field. So. I mean, there's a chance you have, what, you may have three AFC North teams, right? Really good chance of that. Yeah. Make the playoffs. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that will give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top-of-the-line heaters that will keep you warm during those cold tailgates later in the season. They're Oklahoma-owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank knows how to keep fans like you happy. With more than 50 awards in the last five years, including Forbes Best in State Bank, the Oklahoma's Community Choice Awards, and the Journal Records Reader Rankings, it's clear that they are Oklahoma's number one pick for quality banking. And you can find that level of outstanding service in everything FFB offers. Open an account at an award-winning bank today at FFB.com. First Fidelity Bank. We go where you go. And head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D for 10% off. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. For my winner of the week, thought about going with Oregon. Mm. Every list out there has Dan Lanning as a potential candidate for the Texas A&M job. He came out and said this, quote, I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance I would be coaching somewhere else. I've got unfinished business here. Now, Ted, he wouldn't be the first guy to say something like that and then end up leaving, but he feels it, it feels like he's very happy at Oregon and he's not going anywhere, and that fan base has to be thrilled. Yeah. Yeah, I – if if he considers leaving Oregon to go to Texas A&M, people close to him need to grab him and shake him and slap him out of it. Wake up. You don't want to go to that place. You got a chance to possibly go win a national championship this year at Oregon. All right? They're going to be able to pay you just as much as Texas A&M, be able to recruit just as good or better than Texas A&M. You're going to have just as good of an opportunity in the Big Ten as Texas A&M. It's, it, Texas A&M is not a better job than Oregon. It's not. Just flat out is not a better job. He made the smart call by coming out and slapping all of the, the, the talks down. Smart by him. Yeah. And it. I think as long as Lanning's at Oregon – the Ducks are going to be a problem. I'm I'm a big fan of his, mm-hmm. and he knows he knows what it takes. He knows how you have to build a roster, and he's got Phil Knight. That helps. That's the thing. That's what's great about it. You know, okay, Texas A&M has a bunch of money from a bunch of donors who all want influence over one person who. I don't think wants influence. He just wants you to win, right? He just he just wants the national title before he dies. That's it. That's all he wants. That's it. So, 
Smart. But my winner of the week, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Great week for the squad. Uh, beat the Suns on Sunday with an awesome fourth quarter. And 35 points from SGA. 31 from Jalen Williams. He was awesome in that game. And then I was there, Ted. Where were you when the Oklahoma City Thunder won their first in-season tournament game in franchise history? What's up? Let's go. I was where was I? I was in uh on the couch in the second quarter. That's whenever it was over, right? Yes. And that was a beatdown. They destroyed the Spurs. 123-87. I'm glad to hear you're watching already, man. Look yeah. at you. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm uh, watching. Couple, that was fun. Couple, couple things from being there in person. Paycom Center's getting back in shape, baby. Really? Crowd is getting good. Okay. Yeah, we're start we're we're starting to get back into form. Some uh, yeah, the crowd was good, loud, energetic. I'm getting excited about what this season's going to be. The game was being built as this battle between Wimbanyama and Chet. Neither guy really did a whole lot. Chet had nine and seven. Wimby had eight and fourteen. For me, the game was just a reminder of how damn good Shea Gilgis Alexander is. 28 points in 28 minutes. Uh, the game was on TNT, so I'm sure he wanted to put on a show, and he absolutely did. He pretty much got wherever he wanted to go on the floor, Ted. That man is, I mean, he's a top 10 player in the NBA. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind at this point. That man is fun to watch, dude. I mean, he was just, he was toying with those dudes from the Spurs. Mid-range God. He's got everything. He's got explosiveness. He's got a handle. Um, exciting to watch. Yeah, he's he's incredible, man. That was that was an awesome, impressive, uh, awesome performance. What I was like, what what jumped out at me the most is that Chet looked like a normal basketball player when Wimby's out there. You know, it it makes it changes the perspective of everything. The, the I, paradigm it, shifts. Yeah, it's like, wait a second. He's not the tall, lanky guy out there anymore. Like, he is half a head shorter than Wimby. That's crazy, dude, how, how tall he is, man. He is, and he did have this one play. It happened right in front of us. The ball's, like, coming, and I can't remember who for the Thunders, like, trying to deflect the pass. He catches it and instantly goes behind his back then does like a subtle little Euro step and dunks it with two hands. And I was just sitting there going, what the hell was that? Like, What's what? He, how tall does he look whenever he's like a couple feet away from you? The tallest human being I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like a joke. Your brain doesn't even know how to process it. I think he's I listed at seven, four. I mean, there's no way he's definitely taller. He's got to be taller. He looks so tall. It's, it's hard to describe. Watching him play basketball. I it, it changes the way it looks on TV. It looks like everyone has shrunk down to normal sized people, and then there's the tall basketball player out there. It's like, wait a second. No, that guy right there is not six five. He's seven foot two, and he looks like a toddler out there. It's crazy. Yeah, it's but a really nice performance. Franchise record 19 steals. And this one for the Thunder, defensive energy was great. Good to have Kenrich Williams back there. Look at him defending. My guy, I like that Mitzich guy. 
he's fun. He's fun. But you know, Zach Collins got a little, got a little rough with my man Mitzich and Kenrich Williams wouldn't have any of it. Love that about him. I just want to say this real quick. I don't think there's many of these people, but any of you clowns out there saying that the thunder should start tr- thinking about trading giddy. Just shut up. <laughs> just shut up. Dude is 21 years old. Just had 18, seven and seven in this one. How about we give it a little time with this new group now that Chet's in the mix? Okay. Everyone relax. And he's a, like, this isn't a new thing for him to have a slow start. And no, it happened last season. Yeah. It's, he's, he, as it starts, as the weather starts to get better coming out of the, uh, out of the, the, the deep cold in the winter, he gets better and better. Yeah. He's Australian. He's used to, I, I don't know what the weather in Australia is like, but I've always imagined it's just warm the entire time and sunny yeah. and everyone's in a great mood. He just <laughs> needs, he needs to get it, it to get a little warmer. It's fine. That's right. But rebounding has been a big issue for the team. And I, they battled on the board, still lost the battle. Well, 43, 30 gave up too many offensive rebounds, but some improvement on that front for my loser of the week, the Buffalo bills. Hmm. Lost it home to the Broncos on Monday night football in just brutal fashion. Broncos go with the bold decision of Mayday field goal uh, for the game winner. And Will Watts, first of all, former teammate, awesome guy, fantastic human being, misses. But 12 men on the field for Buffalo. Lutz gets another chance, drills it, game over, Broncos wins. Ted, this was a it was a sloppy game, but it was especially sloppy from Buffalo. Man, they just they make so many mistakes, and it starts with Josh Allen. That guy, I mean, he's amazing, but some of these turnovers he has are just brutal. Yeah, he he turns the football over too much. He's a he's a obviously a really talented guy. He's got a huge arm, can make any throw. He's athletic, but he's inconsistent. I'm sorry. He's inconsistent. He makes too many mistakes. He turns the ball over too much. And I know he drove down and and got the go-ahead points that they needed against Denver, but he he lags pretty far behind, in my opinion, from the other top guys that he's compared with. Yeah, he had the two interceptions. I didn't think the first one was really his fault. Hits Gabe Davis right in the hands. But the second one before the half, it leads to points for the Broncos. It's just a bad mistake that hurts your football team. And then just fumbles the ball where he's handing it off and he just drops the ball. I don't know. It's strange. It's strange, man. And it it made it feel even worse that Josh Allen looked that way when Russell Wilson looked the way that he did. He looked good. It, the crazy thing about that game is, I mean, Russell Wilson has just been getting hammered over the last two seasons for his level of play. If you didn't know anything about these two teams and you sat on the couch and you watched that game, you would have gone, oh, there's no doubt the guy on the Broncos is a better quarterback than the guy on the Bills, which is pretty alarming if you're a Buffalo fan. Now, yeah. everyone has their off days, but Monday night football at home, Yep. Wilson outplayed him. I mean, there's just no doubt. Yeah. I, the the conversation, it's funny how different the conversation is 
if they don't have 12 guys out on the field for the field goal. You know? Yeah. If if there's not 12 guys out there on the on the field for the field goal, Denver looks stupid for running the May Day field goal whenever they didn't need to. And you know, you're walking out of there with a win. Ken Dorsey probably still has a job as offensive coordinator and you sweep some of that stuff under the rug. But somehow 12 guys on the field gets the offensive coordinator fired. Um, and, you know, it's just a just a weird ending to that football game. And the worst part about it is I had I because I was watching the game and for whatever reason left the TV on and I sat through a bunch of cringeworthy Russell Wilson interviews post game. That was the worst part of the game. I I didn't say that part of his performance was great, but <laughs> yeah. he did play well during the game. And... and he has played well. I mean, that, that wasn't a one-off performance. He's played pretty good. And Denver's still in it. Yeah. The only other thing on that game, so many OU guys, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, B. Ryan had a couple huge plays on that game-winning yeah. drive for him in the past game. Yep. Uh, Marvin did. Mims was just killing it in the punt return game. Get that man the football more. Did you hear Sean. that that clip from him pregame? Yeah, so good. I didn't throw it to me anyways. <laughs> that was awesome. He addressed it on Twitter. He said, just joking with the fan. Everyone needs to chill out. But, yeah, there were Sooners all over the field in that one. But just a – that's a tough loss for Buffalo. What are they now, 5-5? Five and five? Yeah. They are, Denver, right? they are flirting with not making the playoffs. It's going to be tough. Like like I was saying, um, you know, if – because Miami's 6-3 and three right now. And if you're talking about getting into the the wild card race, the AFC North is loaded with football teams uh, that can really play. Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati's in last in that division, and they're five and four. So Raider, hey Raiders are five and five. They're in the AFC West. Okay, and they have yeah they've found a little found a little juice in that locker room ever since making the coaching change. How about that guy used to be a psychopath on the football field is doing a good job of head coach. Look at that. Look at that. Birthday shout outs. Happy 28th birthday to Joseph Lee. Happy 29th birthday to Ethan Winter. Happy 41st birthday to Aaron Spoon from the Robin Spoons. Happy 44th birthday to Daniel Fat Dog Anderson. And happy 59th birthday to Don Johnson. On that note, episode 371. I don't know why I said one like 71. I'm starting to talk like my two-year-old. It's not good. (laughs) We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Sunday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Enjoy the games. And until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.